Amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bible today, will you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, or the sermon text is printed there on page 10 in your bulletin. 1 Corinthians 12, the first Eleven verses. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the, same, by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is the word of the Lord. We pray, God, that you will send your Holy Spirit now, that we will not just hear with our ears, but our hearts will be moved and changed and our lives transformed to your glory. In Jesus we pray. Amen. So, um, I would like today to preach about spiritual gifts. And I have some hesitancy about doing this, because I think everybody in this room, including me, probably has some not very helpful preconceived ideas about what that term even means. Uh, We have obviously seen stuff, let's say, in the media about, you know, spiritual gifts. I mean, even if you're here today and you're not really into church, I'm sure you've seen stuff in kind of the public conversations in our, in our time where you, you kind of be, become aware there are Christians, people claiming to be Christians, and they claim to have miraculous powers. You know, if any of you saw Jesus' revolution, you know, you think spiritual gifts, you might be like, oh, Lonnie Frisbee, that, that kind of thing, right? Um, and th- that can create a lot of misconceptions, actually. And, and I think also a lot of Christians think that spiritual gifts, when we start talking about spiritual gifts, this is kind of like a Christianized personality test. <laughs> you know, you just pull a bunch of gifts out of the Bible and you make this list and you scroll down the list and eventually you're like, oh, that's me. And it kind of promotes this positive self-understanding, you know, I am special, in fact, I am useful. And all of that is true, you know, to a point. There's nothing necessarily totally wrong about that, but... I think that tends to make the Holy Spirit sort of a means to the end of kind of self-clarification, if you will. And there's another you know, group that when they hear spiritual gifts, they immediately think, well, this is about resourcing church projects. You know, because like, in, especially in transitional times, like we're in a transition time right now at Trinity. There's changeover. And, you know, you get excited about gifts because there's so much to do. And we need to find the person with the gift to do job X or whatever it is. And again, it's not totally wrong. But once again, you find the Holy Spirit is kind of a means to this often all-too-human end. Now, Paul here, as you would expect, does not start with individuals looking for self-clarification, and he does not start with institutions looking for help. He starts, no surprise, with God doing great things 
and making us a part of the great things that he's doing. You'll notice in verse 1, before any details about, I'll use the Greek word, charismaton, before any details about charismatics, if you will, specific gifts that a person might have, Paul begins by zooming out to a larger reality that we are living in, the lively realm of what he calls pneumaticon. That the Greek word for spiritual gifts there is not charismaton, it is pneumaticon. Pneuma, you will probably, some of you will know this, is the Greek word for spirit. So he does not begin with the spiritual gifts explicitly. He begins, he says, I don't want you to be uninformed or ignorant about the realm of pneumaticon, the realm, we might say, of Holy Spirit things. We need to start with the Holy Spirit, and as far upstream as that may seem from what we kind of want to get to, which is the juicy stuff about the gifts, this is where we really need to start. And my first point in today's message is this. It will seem some distance away from spiritual gifts, but it's crucial. My first point is the church is a thing because the Holy Spirit is working. We, the church, are a thing because the Holy Spirit is working. Now, you guys know the entire Bible is about God's determination to have a people. God is insistent about this. He will have a people. He wants a family. He wants a kingdom. He wants a bride. He wants to bless and bless these people for his glory. Now, as we read that story about God seeking a people, we discover that this very determined God differentiates himself as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We would never dare to differentiate God this way, except he does. He self-differentiates as I am the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as you read the story, this, this God acts in different ways in this story, in the three persons of his godness. The Father sends the Son, right? We know him as Jesus, and he comes to save us rebellious human beings from condemnation and ruin. He, Jesus, God the Son, steps into the place of being judged for us. He takes the judgment for us. He obeys God for us. He does everything necessary to make peace with God. And then the Father and the Son send God the Spirit because God is now at peace with us. We are not at peace with him. And so God the Holy Spirit comes, and the, there's an interesting place in the Bible where it says he quite literally drags us out of darkness and rebellion into this wonderful reconciliation that the Son has secured on the cross and in his resurrection. So now, thanks to the Holy Spirit working in us, instead of all of us individually pretending to be Lord, we begin to recognize as the Spirit works And we begin to love the fact that that we are not Lord. Jesus is the Lord. That's what Paul says there in verse uh, 3. You can see it. We say Jesus is Lord in the Holy Spirit. That work of God the Holy Spirit is what creates the church. Now, I don't have to tell you guys how that bounces off the modern mind. I know it does, because we have all been affected, even those of us who are believers, we have been really affected by what some people call disenchantment, the disenchantment of the modern age. You know, this notion that we do not any longer need these imaginary supernatural explanations for all this stuff that we can explain perfectly well 
just using natural explanations. We can explain the real world without all these imaginary supernatural things. Thank you very much. Any enlightened person in the modern world understands that. We put away these fairy tales. We've grown up. That's the disenchantment thesis. And without pausing here to show how that very disenchantment idea itself is imaginary, a conversation I would love to have and I hope to have in future sermons with you, we can acknowledge the fact that even though you believe in God, let's be honest, in your heart of hearts, you're soaked in this you're soaked in this age. You're soaked in the kind of spirit of the age, and it's very hard sometimes to hold on to the fact that this Holy Spirit thing, this God thing, this supernatural realm, it's real. It's hard to hold on to that. We are talking here in this text about something that is beyond the causal for- forces of nature, and so it can kind of feel unreal, but you guys are believers, and you understand that feeling, is it really real? That feeling does not make it unreal, We are the church because the Holy Spirit is working. In every other human community that you guys enjoy, and I hope you enjoy many different kinds of human communities, people are drawn together by common natural interests. And that's good. And that is not absent from the church, this community we call the church. But what ultimately draws people together in the church is not common earthly natural interests, what ultimately draws and binds us together in the church is this lively Holy Spirit-given conviction. You know what? Jesus really is Lord. We have been wakened not to some fantasy. We've been wakened by the Holy Spirit to the sheer depths and heights and lengths and breadths of reality. You know, you, if, if you have this little ceiling over your life that it's only what you can run through a, through a scientific laboratory that's real, you're just missing such depths of reality. There is the spirit world and over heaven and earth, things unseen and seen, Jesus is Lord. And the Holy Spirit wakes us up to that. And because he's awakened us all to that, that's what we confess together. The church is a community of humans. But it is much more than a merely human community. We confess together that Jesus is Lord in the Holy Spirit. Now let's amplify that a little bit. So the church is a thing because the Spirit is working. My second point, to amplify that a little bit, because Paul, you know, look at verse 3 again. My second point, the aim of the Spirit's work is to magnify Jesus. So the church is a thing because the Spirit is working, but the aim of the Spirit's work is to magnify Jesus. Jesus. We say Jesus is awesome. He is Lord. He is on the throne of the universe. I recently um, listened to an interview with a, a woman named Molly Worthen. Now, it's interesting. I had, she's a historian, a really brilliant historian, and I had read her work. And um, she didn't profess to be a, a Christian uh, when she wrote these works, but recently, last summer, she became a Christian. And I was listening to the story of her testimony as she gave it, And one of the things that was very interesting as I listened to it was uh, she said that uh, throughout her life up until when she became a Christian, a a true believer, she had had church experiences. And she said about those church experiences, she said, one of the things I realized looking back was that a lot of these church experiences gave my mind all sorts of things to think about other than Jesus. You know, there are churches where you can sit through the pews Sunday after Sunday and the aesthetics grab you or maybe the intellectual arguments grab you or, you know, the warm, fuzzy community feeling grabs you. But it's possible to sit through a lot of church life and not actually be thinking about Jesus. The Holy Spirit's aim is to magnify 
Jesus. And one real indicator that people are spiritually alive in the Holy Spirit sense, not some weird like, oh, I'm spiritual. No, like the Holy Spirit spiritual sense. People are alive in the Holy Spirit is that they are just excited about Jesus. Wow, Jesus is Lord, and he rose from the dead, and he is on the throne of the universe. Molly Worthen said, when I realized that, my entire, like, configuration of the universe had to change. He's Lord. And Paul, you know, he explains it in verse 2. He says, when the Holy Spirit is working, people realize that a bunch of stuff they used to worship, they used to think this was ultimately valuable, ultimately important, worth giving your whole life to, worth living and dying for. Actually, a bunch of that stuff might be just fine, you know, in itself, but you... in worshiping it, it, you realize that that stuff I used to worship, he says, these were mute, dumb idols. When, When the Holy Spirit gets a hold of your heart, you start to realize a bunch of stuff that you just was so big and so important in your life, you realize it is at best laughably unsuited to be a god. Just laughably unsuited to be a god, unworthy of worship, and at worst, it is demonically enslaving. And you turn from those dumb idols that sit there and stare blankly at you, and you turn and you become wholeheartedly devoted to the real, living, true God and this Jesus that he sent to be Lord of the world. You just become excited about that. You start to believe in this Jesus. You start to talk about Jesus. You start to live for Jesus because you love Jesus. That's, if, that's what happens when the Spirit works. You know, Jesus told us this would happen before he uh, even went to the cross. He told his disciples, when the Spirit comes, he's going to testify about me. And the Spirit's work, when he's working among a people, it is not to make much of himself. The Spirit's work is to make much of Jesus. And because the Holy Spirit makes much of Jesus, people in whom the Holy Spirit is working, they start making much of Jesus. I love John Webster's way of describing this. He says, arrested by the holy disorienting grace of God in Christ and the Spirit. So we're just arrested by this disorienting grace of God in Christ and the Spirit. He says the church simply points. That's what the church does. We're just here to point. Look at that God. Look at that Jesus whom he has sent. Our, our words start to point to him. Our lives start to point to him because he is our focus and he's where we want other people to focus. And we're not just talking about pointing to some you know, distant historical figure way off in the past. That, you know, we just have to be part of that community that just for 2,000 years has just been talking about some dead guy 2,000 years ago. We are talking about and pointing toward this one who the writer of Hebrews says is Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the whole Messiah for all of life, in all times, in all places, from from the highest places of rule to the lowest pits of ruin in human life. He is the Lord of all of it, the Lord of kings and the Lord of paupers. He's the Lord, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we just become excited about who he is and what he's doing even now and what he will do as we live under his reign. Now, That's what the Spirit does. His aim is to magnify Jesus. And when we imagine, okay, so we try to picture people in whom the Holy Spirit is doing this. We try to imagine the Spirit working in people, and they're they're kind of catching fire, and they're starting to point to Jesus. They start to make much of him. They start to serve him. They start to magnify him. I think we all really do have some preconceived ideas of what that will look like. What will it look like? If, If I said to you, 
in, in two weeks, the Holy Spirit's going to send revival to Trinity Church, and you're all just going to catch fire for Jesus in a way you have not in a very long time. You'd, have, you'd, you'd imagine a certain, you'd, you'd have some pictures in your head of what that looks like, and that's why we need the, the, the next point. So the aim of the Spirit's work is to magnify Jesus. My third point, this might be the core of this. Everyone who calls Jesus Lord is uniquely gifted to live that confession. Let me say that again. Everyone who calls Jesus Lord is uniquely gifted to live that confession. I really pray the Spirit will drive this home in our hearts today. Every one of us who confesses that Jesus is Lord is uniquely gifted to live that confession because part of what Paul is doing as you move on in the text, so people say Jesus is Lord in the Holy Spirit, and he goes on to start breaking some stuff down. And part of what he's doing here, you'll notice, is he is breaking down the Corinthian categories. See, the Corinthians are a lot like North Americans. The Corinthians had very strong categories of the haves and the have-nots. The Corinthians had very strong categories about the super-gifted and the non-gifted. And that's kind of like, you know, they had this kind of status thing going on, much like we do in North America. And, and so Paul is kind of breaking that down as he, as he moves on in, in, here in the text. What he is saying to them is that every single one of these people in the Corinthian church who called Jesus Lord by the Holy Spirit are gifted by that Spirit to serve Jesus. That's true here today. Every one of you who called Jesus Lord because the Spirit's worked in you, you are gifted by the Holy Spirit to serve Jesus. But here's the problem, and this is why Paul's going after this. You cannot see that that is true if your idea of what is a real spiritual gift is too narrow. Look at me, guys. Do you understand what I just said? You are not going to see that everyone who calls Jesus Lord is gifted to serve him, uniquely gifted to serve him, if you've got this idea in your head that the spiritual gifts fit into this little slice right here. That box has to be broken. Part of it will help us begin to see the universality of the spiritual gifts, that yes, we all have them, actually, is to understand just how diverse they are. Just how much you cannot often put this in a box of, yeah, it looks like these five things. No, it looks like so much more. I love the way D.A. Carson describes this. He says, the triune God loves diversity. So much so, as someone has remarked, that when he sends a snowstorm, he makes each flake different. We manufacture ice cubes. And I get that. I'm a pastor. I would love a church full of ice cubes. Just put them in the freezer. Here come the ice cubes. Predictable. Everyone in lockstep. And God wants snowflakes. Not exactly the snowflakes like we mean today. He wants, you know what I'm trying to say. (laughs) And he emphasizes this, you'll notice, Paul emphasizes this in verses 5 and 6 when he kind of gives this sort of trinity thing for a minute. And he talks about how, look, look, you know, the differentiated God, self-differentiated God. The Spirit gives diverse gifts, he says. The Lord, the Son, Jesus, gives, he, he directs a diversity of service. There are various gifts of the Spirit. There are various acts of service to the Lord. And there is this God, perhaps referring to God the Father, who empowers various activities. There's such, there's such variety in the work of God, and yet it's all from the one God. It is all from the one Spirit. And notice what Paul goes on. Now you all can look at the list and find yourself. You can have your little personality moment. I'm actually kidding when I say that because if you go on, look at what he, look at what he describes. You'll, you'll notice these, these gifts as he goes on to list them. You know, basically, they, some of us are gifted more to speak and some of us are gifted more to act. 
Uh, some people are kind of, the Spirit works through their words. Other people, the Spirit works through their actions. And as you read on, you know, in verse 8, you find the Spirit may use one of us, may gift one of us to speak wisdom, to speak knowledge. And this could be such a variety of, of, of wisdom or knowledge. You know, maybe we need to hear something about God. Maybe we need to have some part of the word broken open where we can really understand it. Maybe we need someone to tell us and give us insight into how the world works and how life in God's world is supposed to work. That's wisdom. That's knowledge. Some of us maybe will be given a gift by the Spirit to help us see how some little part of our micro story fits into this macro story of what God is doing in his kingdom. Or maybe as Paul goes on, he talks about the gift of faith. You know, sometimes God will gift someone to speak words of encouragement because the Spirit has just got my faith all stirred up and your faith is really weak and I can say something to you and I can just encourage you. You know what? God is real. Jesus is Lord. The kingdom is coming and, and there's hope and there's, there's peace that comes in that. Or, or maybe, you know, he goes on to speak about another kind of speaking. There's, there's discernment. Now, he describes it as discerning of spirits. And there's something to that. You know, you need to be able to discern spiritual influences, which, which are from the Lord, which are not. But there's just general discernment, the ability to, to kind of cleave between that which is true and false, that which is good and that which is evil, that which is beautiful and, 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 and worth, you know, giving yourself to, and that which is just ugly and worthless. And we are able to speak these things to each other. That is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Or some of us, it's more gifted to act. There are so many physical needs, so many social needs, and people act to, to, to minister by the Spirit. Paul speaks here of healing. Healing is a gift. But it, later in verse 28, it's not in your notes there, but if you read on in the chapter, Paul speaks about other action gifts, not just various ways of healing people's wounds and, 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 and broken hearts and so on. He talks about helping. You know, you don't think of that as a gift. I don't think of that. If you are helping someone, that, the Spirit gifts people to do that. He gifts people to lead. That's another gift that Paul mentions in verse 28. He gifts people to administer, to, to, to do administrative work. That, those are gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to notice some of you are already hung up on prophecy in tongues. I mean, it never fails. You talk, I mean, I'm, look, I'm a former charismatic. Never fails to start talking about spiritual gifts. What about prophecy in tongues? Listen. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in the time of the apostles, he absolutely gave certain supernatural gifts. And if you read through Hebrews 2, other places we could talk about, what you see is those supernatural gifts were given by the Spirit because the apostles preaching about Jesus needed God's authentication, as it were. God authenticated, no, this is the real gospel of the real kingdom by signs and wonders and miraculous things and by people, uh, because there wasn't yet a completed Bible, people prophesying, and there, were, there was speaking in tongues. And you see it on the day of Pentecost. Why? Well, for one thing, so people in different languages could hear about Jesus, but also, if you read back in Isaiah 28, you will see that God was, that was a sign of judgment on Israel. You don't want to hear Jesus? Well, then I will cause the gospel to be preached in tongues you don't understand anymore. And those were supernatural things the Holy Spirit was doing, and that's absolutely glorious stuff, and we should, we should rejoice as we read those stories. But what I want to say to you today is it is no less supernatural working of the Spirit when he empowers someone to preach now our completed Bible or when he empowers someone to go feed the hungry or clothe the naked, 
or dare I say, when he empowers and gifts someone to direct traffic in church life because there's a lot of traffic to direct. That's not quite as, you know, fantastic as I speak in tongues, which was the thing in the circles I grew up in. We don't often think it is no less supernatural when the Holy Spirit is working so that people can administer things well. And I'd like you to notice the interweaving of the Spirit's work and our work. Yes, this is a work of the Spirit. We receive the ability to speak and do certain things from the Spirit. We receive even the desire to do those things and say those things from the Holy Spirit. But what Paul is pressing here, I think, also, is we participate. Brothers and sisters, we all participate. There are no exceptions to that. We participate in identifying these gifts and using these gifts. We are not spectators in this working of the Holy Spirit. Every one of us participates. There, nobody is left out. This starts in the earliest years. One of the reasons why we are so emphatic about the fact that from infancy our children are saints. They are Jesus people. They have the Holy Spirit. They are to be raised in the Holy Spirit. Your work as parents brothers and sisters, with these little people, these little Jesus people, your work as parents is not ultimately to help your kids find the path to personal happiness. That is not a parent's calling. I have to find, help my child find the path to personal happiness. First of all, that is so often a pipe dream. What what does that even mean? That is not the work of faithful Christian parenting. The work of Christian parenting is rather to work patiently over time to help our little ones from their earliest years discern and cultivate before the Lord what has the Holy Spirit given to them to honor and serve Jesus and to bless other people in his name. And if they do that, they will find joy. Even little ones are not excluded from this gifting of the Holy Spirit. And may I say at the other end of life, the older saints... I think because I'm finally getting a little older, I'm more sensitive to older saints now, and I'm embarrassed that I have not been so much before. But one of the things I notice with older saints is there comes often a feeling of being useless. And the Bible says that the saints of God, Jesus' people, they still bear fruit in old age because they still have the Holy Spirit. They are full of sap and green. They have the Spirit Can I just say one little thing to you older saints that I don't think you probably often realize? Do you have any idea how encouraging it is to see people in a church who still love Jesus in their 70s and 80s and 90s when some of us are trying to figure out how we're going to survive our 40s? I'm not kidding. That is a gift, and it strengthens. But I need to clarify one final thing. Fourth point. Everyone who calls Jesus Lord is gifted uniquely to serve him. The last point, though, I want to point out is very important. We discover our gifts. We discover our gifts less by introspection than by simply doing whatever edifies. We discover our gifts less by introspection, looking within, than simply by doing whatever edifies. You'll notice throughout the epistle, the 1 Corinthians epistle, Uh, Paul says in a few places, in a few ways, that at the core of the Holy Spirit's work, at the core of spiritual gifts, is what he calls edifying, building up. That's what it's about. 
Because you can have a lot of knowledge and it puffs you up. You can have a lot of wisdom and it just makes your head explode. You can have a lot of gifts, faith, prophecy, tongues, and it can just puff you up. Love, he says in chapter 13, is the more excellent way. It is more excellent than all knowledge, more excellent than all gifts, even tongues and prophecy. It is more excellent even than faith because it is love that aims everything at building up. At what Paul calls here in verse 7, it aims at the common good. When the Spirit is working, it is not all about I'm better. It is about we are better. We are building each other up. And I would encourage you as you're thinking about discerning the gifts of the Holy Spirit, do not start with the question, what is my gift? I think that's the wrong question. Start with this question, how can I build others up? How can I build others up? Let me say that another way. Spend less time looking for your gifts and more time looking for opportunities that have been arranged by the Holy Spirit to build other people up. Why would I say that? Because sometimes, brothers and sisters, the gifts are, I'm going to use a big word, episodic, by which I mean I want to think, well, the Holy Spirit gave Ben this gift, and that's my lifelong gift, and don't ask me to do anything that's not my gift. And anytime that gift is needed, I'm all in. No, that's, sometimes it is an episode of gifting. There are many times when the Spirit gifts you in this moment for this moment. Like the opportunity is here. See the opportunity, grab hold of it, and the Spirit will gift you. Sometimes the best thing to ask to discern the gifts of the Holy Spirit is, can I do this here, now? If the answer to that question is yes, I can, I, I can say something. I can just sit quietly and be a presence. I, 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 can, I can do something. Here, now, the Spirit has given me an opportunity. Then just step out and trust the Holy Spirit in that opportunity that he's given to you. And this is, I'll say, I'll go further. I think sometimes when we think about spiritual gifts, we tend to think about like, well, what are my natural gifts? And the Holy Spirit will kind of like anoint those natural gifts, and I'll just be like awesome in the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes thinking about your natural gifting can actually be a distraction when it comes to spiritual gifts. I think of Moses here. God says, go preach to Pharaoh and bring down his empire. Moses is like, I can't talk. God says, I will be with your mouth. That's gifting. Moses is a stammerer, but the Spirit gifts and works often in weakness, not just in strength. And I think that that helps us because some of us are very timid. I don't feel gifted. I get so tired of hearing Christians say this. I don't feel gifted. I feel like saying it doesn't matter. You are (laughs) because the Spirit. He'll work through your weakness. He will gift you in the moment. Step out, act, speak, as the opportunity calls for. But this also, this idea of the Spirit working, sometimes even against our natural gifting, gifting us against our, even our natural gifts at times, it can also help the self-indulgent. Because I hear something else as a pastor all the time. There are people who say, well, I just haven't found a way to serve that kind of fits who I am. Haven't you now? Funnily enough, the needs continue. Can we just get busy ministering to those needs and see how the Spirit works? If all else fails you, you're like, I don't know, I can't find my gift, then get a towel and wash some feet. Or here's even a little more meddling. Here's one way to listen for the Holy Spirit as you're trying to figure out what you're gifted to do and what you ought to be doing. Has anybody in your life recently actually been kind of poking you and prompting you to serve in some way and they're kind of irritating you because you don't really want to serve in this way? Has it ever crossed your mind that might be the Holy Spirit? Do you know why I'd say that? Because one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, one of the spiritual gifts, is administering being that poker. Hey, you should, and I don't want to hear that. Maybe that is the Holy Spirit. And I think we may need this exhortation 
to just do whatever builds up, do whatever edifies others. We may need that exhortation most when we are most beaten down by life. You know, as Christians, we get sometimes beaten down by life, and you can say, I don't even have the energy to seek to discern or use gifts. I'm just tired, and yet it is in watering others, building them up with the love of Jesus. Dear saints, please hear this. It is in doing that that we often experience most the refreshing waters of the love of Jesus. As it is washing through you, you feel it. You sense it. You drink it in. You are renewed and restored. There is a reason why Jesus said to Paul, he said, my grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in weakness. Less introspection. Do what edifies. I'll conclude with this. Everything I've been saying to you reminds us, beloved, and don't, don't tune out this last point. It reminds us we really need to keep our relationships in good working order. Because spiritual gifts, no matter how great, they cannot be used, they will not be used, they will be abused and misused without love. We really need to guard our hearts and our relationships. If there is rivalry, pride, competitiveness in a Christian community, the gifts will be abused. You can have a church full of super gifted people who can like move mountains with their faith and they are a noisy gong to Jesus. Love builds up. We need to keep our relationships in order. And if there is resentment, bitterness, anger, burrs that have gotten into our relationships and broken them down, we will withhold our gifts from each other because we don't love each other. Our hearts are not open to each other. Before there can be the flowing fruit of spiritual gifts, there must be a watchfulness, as Paul says, to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And amid the raging storms of our time, brothers and sisters, I know many of you are very concerned about these raging storms, as am I. This, this we've been talking about, this is how we build the ships of welcoming grace. Where the lost, the broken, the adrift, they can enter and meet our Lord. This is how we do it, all by the power of the spirit of Pentecost. You're gifted. Use your gifts. Amen. Bless this to our hearts and our lives, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, by the power of the Spirit, amen.